to A View in Focus, the show where we talk with entrepreneurs from technology startups and high-growth companies. We'll get to hear their stories about entrepreneurship, leadership, strategy, management, and fundraising. I'm your host, Dino De Palma, Managing Partner at True North Advisory, where we work alongside entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and PE firms as their strategic advisors. So welcome. And in today's episode, we have the pleasure um, of hosting someone who's in a little bit of a different space, uh, Anne Hayes. She's the executive director at The Food Project. So welcome, Anne. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent. Well, you know, we, we've um, started this podcast for about a little over a month and a half, and we have been interviewing um, individuals who are in the for-profit world. So we're excited to get to know a little bit more about the nonprofit world and uh, the intersections, some of the similarities and some of the differences and in challenges. Um, so maybe just to kick us off, just tell us a little bit about uh, about the food project. Sure. Um, so the food project is kind of a mid-sized nonprofit at a little over $4 million budget. Um, and our mission is to bring together a thoughtful and diverse uh, community of youth and adults to build a more just and sustainable food system. And we do this in three ways. We like to think of it as our three pillars. First, youth, we empower and equip youth leaders uh, through our youth development programs, which are paid work opportunities. We grow and distribute healthy, affordable food to people in the city and the suburbs. So we grow about 200,000 pounds of food every year. And then finally, we hope to inspire and support others in creating change in their community. So that's our, our community arm, which is really about helping to uh, community members to identify what they'd like to see and uh, particularly in the local food system and what we can do to support that. Well, I've, I've had the benefit of seeing it somewhat up close since Annalisa, um, my wife, has, has been on, on the board. So I know you guys do uh, some tremendous work uh, for uh, our community. So thank you first, uh, first, first and foremost. Uh, but before we get started getting a little deeper into the food project and your career and some learnings that you might have, you know, we always like to start to, to, to get to know our guests. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself or you grew up, what you did as a kid, uh, <laughs> give us a little sense of who Anne actually is. Sure. Um, I actually grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, um, and spent the first, uh, you know, 18 years of my life there. Um, I was super interested in um, learning to speak Spanish. And so um, spent spent a little bit of time in Spain and got pretty good at the language and ended up volunteering down in Hartford with a bilingual school and getting involved with um, some of the kids there, which was really rewarding for me. Um, that interest in languages took me to Dartmouth College, where they had a really strong um, study abroad program and really strong um, language program. So also learned how to speak French, lived in Spain and France. Um, throughout my time there was uh, continued to be um, interested in community service and uh, but then took a more traditional route uh, out of school of uh, strategy consulting and did that for a couple years um, and that was down in the DC area and then um, came back to Boston uh, came to Boston to go to business school here and uh, after business school, decided that I really wanted to try out marketing. So went to work at Clorox in consumer products marketing, uh, 
stayed there until we decided to move back to Boston for my husband to go to grad school and um, worked for Stride Right and Welch's stayed in stayed in that area of consumer product marketing until I we started our family. I stayed home with my kids because uh, because the part time wasn't an option given my field. And so I stayed home with my kids and then around 2009 decided I really wanted to get um, re restart the brain, get back into doing things. So I decided to do some pro bono consulting through Harvard Business School alumni group and uh, did that for nonprofits. And that's what introduced me to the food project. My first and second projects were for the food project. And so that's how I got to know the organization. And then my daughter was really interested and enter and applied for and got into the youth programs and stayed and worked with the food project for the next three or four years through through high school and into her first summer um, in college. So we have been connected to the food project for a really long time. I uh, did some other projects, worked for an organization called uh, Trinity Boston Connects, where I, uh, when I went back to work, became their chief operating officer. And that's where I came to the food project from. Fantastic. Uh, well, I love your love for languages. I, I have that as well. I <laughs> grew up in a French, uh, half French, half Italian family. So we were all a little confused in my house growing up speaking uh, <laughs> all the languages. It was kind of kind yeah. of fun uh, if you were uh, flying the wall observing the, the craziness. But, you know, it, it's interesting because you started off in, in the for-profit world as a marketing executive. Uh, maybe tell me a little bit about um, that transition of working, you know, for, um, a, a, you know, for-profit company. Yeah. I think Clorox probably was even publicly traded uh, at the time, oh, yeah. so public public company, right? Going to to a nonprofit, maybe walk us through a little bit of the the major differences that that, that you've seen uh, being uh, an executive at both companies. Yeah, I think um, for me, <coughs> in that <coughs> excuse me, in that break in between um, working, I loved working at Clorox. I was in brand management there. It's kind of like running your own business. Um, it was, got to see all the different aspects of the business, not particularly interesting products, but really interesting business skill development, I think. Um, and I really loved, uh, loved that work and loved the people I worked with. After taking a break for a while to raise my kids, I had a hard time thinking about motivating, you know, to to sell bleach and, you know, to market market other kind of cleaning products and things. And I really decided that I would love to get involved in the nonprofit space and do something that I felt would make more of a difference in the world um, and to take the skills that I learned both in the strategy consulting and in the, you know, running a P&L center for a, for Clorox. Um, to be able to take those skills and bring them to the nonprofit space. And, and so that's, that was my transition there. Um, and doing that consulting in the middle where I was on the board of community action partners, which is um, Harvard Business School and Harvard Kennedy School alumni consulting. Um, and I ran uh, five or six projects for them with different uh, organizations. And that was like a nice transition, grabbing my strategy consulting skills and some of those other kinds of growth skills and marketing skills and applying them to the nonprofit space. You mentioned um, one word, which was passion. And, and I think whether it's for-profit or non-profit, when you're an entrepreneur, uh, passion is one of the critical pieces of, of success. 
so tell me about you know your passion for example the food project and how that's impacted the, the work that you do and, and, and maybe how you uh, inspire your, your your team i i should mention that i'm married to an entrepreneur so i totally get the passion side on that so <laughs> the startup side um and yes i think you know, for me, one of the nice things about the consulting I did was it helped me identify what I was most passionate about. Um, and I think I originally thought, you know, early education and little kids. And then I did a few projects in that. And then I did some projects more at the middle school, high school level as they're getting a little bit more of their own opinions and own thoughts. And I really gravitated more towards that middle school, high school level. And then the food access work, I think is incredibly important to me and making sure, I, I know probably many people feel this way, but the idea that there are folks out there who don't have enough healthy, affordable food is just, it's unconscionable given, given the wealth in this country. So trying to think about that and to work with youth who are so passionate about that to make a difference in that area is really, really rewarding for me. Yeah, I've gotten to see uh, some of the events when some of the uh, individuals got up to speak. It was just so impressive and how transformed they were. I think that was something that that impressed me quite a bit. Um, you know, where do you um, see, just specific on the food project, uh, it's uh, nationally recognized now. You know, what do you think are the next big steps for, for, for the food project? Yeah, so we've done some work recently. Um, we developed a five-year strategic plan, and so I, I can answer that um, pretty mm -hmm. pretty well right now. Um, so part of it is um, one of the things we really like to do is is sort of lengthen and deepen our youth program. So right now we work uh, largely with high school age youth, so 14 to 18 years old. Once they graduate in the past, what it's been is once they graduate high school, they can work that summer and then it's sort of like, bye, have a great life, you know, hope you take what <laughs> you learned here and move on. Um, and uh, so what we've done is we've added a fellowship program, which is a little bit like a bridge to full-time work, right? So they when they're in seed crew, dirt crew, root crew, which is the path through our youth programs, um, they're working with youth development managers and other young people, and they they have a nice little support system in place. They're paid, they it's a job and everything, but there's a there's a nice support system in place for them. And what we decided was once they get past that, that it might be a great opportunity for them to see more of what we do. So to get a bigger view of what the food project does, what it's like to work in fundraising or finance and operations or some of these other areas, or to really drill down on the youth side or the farm side or community programs. So they get a deeper experience and they report directly to your average manager, right? Not a youth development manager. So they get a sense of what is it really mm -hmm. gonna be like for them when they get into the workforce. And, and that has been so successful. We've got a lot of alums to come back and be interested in doing that. We had one um, young woman who came last summer and was a development and communications intern. She had been in uh, school for a, about a year and a half or two years, and she was majoring in PR and communications. And she was able to come and work with us, bring her knowledge of the food project in an exchange, get from us, you know, how do we do our social media? How do we run our events? And get really hands-on involved in that. So it was a total win-win because 
when you hire somebody from the outside, you're going to have to teach them the food project. When you hire somebody from the inside, they get that and they need the skills. So it worked out really, really well for us. And she did a phenomenal job. So I loved, I love examples like that. And we've, we're expanding that program as a bridge and we've actually already hired one of those fellows onto full-time staff. So. Wow, that, that that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned you, um, during your your answer, you, you mentioned fundraising, and you know, for startups um, or nonprofit organizations, fundraising is is one of the the keys, uh, obviously, to be able to run the business and and you know, startup world get get going. Uh, maybe tell me what the world is like for fundraising and in, in, in nonprofit. Obviously, I've been used to fundraising for uh, you know for the startups I've been a part of, but what is it like in in, in the nonprofit world? Sure. Um, so we raise have to each year have to raise ninety percent of our budget. We have some earned revenue from community supported agriculture shares and a, you know a little bit from the affordable markets and stuff. But we we raise ninety percent of our budget every year from. You know, individual funders, institutional funders, that could be corporations, foundations, family foundations, and so on. So that is, a, you know, a big nut every year. So we have to raise, you know, 3.5 to $4 million every year. And um, so it breaks down about half of that is grants. Now we've shifted somewhat, but um, about half of that is grants from institutional and um, corporate funders, foundation and corporate. And then about, I'd say it's about 50-50 between that and individuals and family foundations. Um, so on the grant side, it's very much writing proposals, but also stewarding the donors, like the, the people who are running the foundations or you know executive directors of foundations, they love to come and see what the work looks like. Corporate partners often like to bring groups of volunteers to do our serve and grow program where they can come for a morning and do farm work together and be led by the youth and our farm staff and get to really understand what we do. Um, and individual donors, I find, you know, it depends. We have a nice benefit in that it, you know, it's a pro and a con. We're both very complex because we've got the youth, food, and community side of things. And it's a nice way to have an, different entry points for donors. So if somebody's really interested in sustainable ag and the environment and what's happening in that, there's a place for them. If they're really interested in youth development and youth workforce development, we have, you know, we have those programs as well. If they really want to see more about what's going on in the community and we'd love to have a bigger presence in the community, there's something there for them. So a lot of what I think of it as is understanding what the donor's interest is. And some of them just love how it all comes together. And that's great too. But understanding what the interest is, do they want to support us more broadly? They also are able to restrict their grants. They could say, you know what, you need a pickup truck so you can build, have the young people go and build more raised bed gardens in the community so people can grow their own food. I want to buy that pickup truck for you. And that's all we can spend their money on is that pickup truck. Or they can say, use it for whatever makes the most sense for you and wherever the need is. And then it's really broad. So it goes, it runs the gamut, but figuring out what they're interested in, engaging them in the work in some way, um, I often share a lot about what we're thinking strategically, where are we going and what are their thoughts on that? Because a lot of them have some really interesting background and can provide some insights for us, too. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. And the other um, area I wanted to cover uh, that, that you touched on 
is obviously you have um, a fairly small staff, I imagine, to run this organization. You also leverage uh, volunteers. How do you do that, right? In the for-profit world, they're all employees, right? I mean, they're all employees that will here in Massachusetts, but they're still employees. Um, you know, they're part of your team. Um, how do you manage the balance of volunteers, staff, how you get them to connect and work together uh, to fulfill the mission? I, I think that uh, our listeners would, would benefit from, from learning a little more about that. Sure. Um, so we have around <coughs> 25 to 30 kind of year-round staff members. We hire an additional 20 or so adult staff in the summer. Seasonal adult staff could be assistant growers, crew leaders, people like that. And then we hire about 140 young people. So um, our youth our youth wages account for over five hundred thousand dollars of our budget. Oh wow! That's, okay, that's wow. just fourteen to eighteen year olds. Um, so probably five fifty at this point. But um, so we have that whole mix of people. Some here longer than others, and then we have our volunteers. And and before COVID, we averaged between fifteen hundred and two thousand volunteers a year most of those people doing what I referred to as serve and grow. So they come for two and a half or three hours, either on a you know weekday morning or a Saturday morning. They uh, get to hear about the organization, play a game with the young people, go out in the fields, uh, you know, help us deliver that food to people who need it the most um, by weeding, mulching, composting, harvesting, you know, whatever we need. And they are always really, really nice about doing whatever we need. And for the most part, that's what the volunteers do. Some of them once, some of them many times. We have some volunteers who uh, work with us on a really regular basis. I know our Boston Urban Farm Manager, who runs our big 10,000 square foot greenhouse, has th three or four women who work with her every week, and they are really good at taking care of tomato plants, for one thing, and <laughs> help us grow a lot of tomatoes. Maybe, maybe they can come to my house. I need well, I some know. help. <laughs> um, and then um, we have done some skilled volunteering, too. We had a group from um, Fidelity come and help us decide uh, what to do with our very antiquated database that we were using. And they gave us a great recommendation. We moved to Salesforce. It was it was a process, but it turned out to be great because we could put everything in it. And it's worked out really well for us. And they helped us, um, Fidelity Foundation helped us with a grant to, to make that happen, which was awesome. Um, we've had other folks like from Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare, helped us with an HR question or a marketing question, you know, like different skilled volunteering opportunities um, sometimes do come up and those can be really helpful as well. Interesting you mentioned a CRM like Salesforce. Uh, I think whether you're in a for-profit or nonprofit, the ability to early on to start to collect and gather your data will enable you to make better, better decisions. In fact, I was just in a meeting yesterday pushing someone to do that. I think that organizations when they're small, tend to say, oh, we'll do that later, and later becomes so much more challenging. So uh, is that something that you implemented, it, uh, or was that there before you, uh, or was that one of your, you know, you said, we've, we've got to do this? <laughs> well, we had uh, FileMaker Pro, <laughs> um, 
and it was about 11 versions behind because we hadn't upgraded it. So when I got here, there was a big concern that both the database and the server it was on were going to implode and we were going <laughs> to lose a ton of data. We had moved our donor database off of that, but all the youth data and the farm data and everything was on that. And so the it was a very big priority to figure out how to move that to something else. And the other thing is we had Razor's Edge, uh, which is a BlackBod product as our yeah. donor database, which is a, a, a perfectly good donor database, except it doesn't talk to QuickBooks. <laughs> and you can't make it talk to yeah. QuickBooks, which is what we were using. And um, so we decided to take everything and put it on the same database. And that's, we could do that with Salesforce and Salesforce can um, work with other outside systems, which is really nice. Um, and, and at first we started with just the donor part and then we kept saying, well, no, well, we should do CSA members too, because and and some of them are donors, and then volunteers, and some of them are donors, or they might have be parents of youth, or and so it just worked out that there were so many connections between the so uh, all these so being able to use one database where you could tag people in all these different ways really made a difference for us, kind of keeping track of all the different ways that we intersect with our community. Yeah, and I think that uh, it's critical, as I said, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, and now you have the data to help you uh, hopefully raise more money and, and obviously continue to, to push for this cause. One of the questions I have, um, and I'm always curious about this with, with non-profits, is how do you make um, the food project someone's priority? There's so many priorities out there, whether it be giving to schools, UNICEF, uh, there's so many great causes, Girls Inc., others. How do you say, okay, you know, within your order of priorities, let's make sure that the food project is one of them. How, how do you do that? I think one of the best things that we can do is have people come and see what's happening in action. You know, whether it's through Serve and Grow, they could come to a farm lunch. We have these great farm lunches in the summer where youth speak and um, they can get farm tours and stuff and kind of see what we're up to. A lot of times on some level it sells itself because the work that we're doing is so interesting to so many people. And then during COVID, I think what has happened is people have really started to understand that food insecurity is a really big issue. And it's it's interesting to me because you know people say, well, maybe interest will die off if it goes back to pre-pandemic levels. And I think you know pre-pandemic levels were one in nine families were food insecure. Oh. Are we okay with that? I don't feel like we should be okay with that. And so trying to really um, share the information with people about you know kind of what the stats are, but what that really looks like for people and 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 appealing to their you know empathy really yeah. like it yeah that's really it and what you, and you mentioned obviously COVID. i think i'd be remiss not to, to kind of touch on that a little you know pushed a lot of companies to to pivot uh a what challenges did it present and you know one i i obviously know of i imagine with fundraising how did you all adapt to make sure that you could get through uh, some of these challenging times yeah, so with the pandemic, like one of the biggest challenges for us is we almost immediately, well, pretty much immediately had to turn what youth programs were running into virtual, which we had never done. The food project has always been a very physically <laughs> present place. 
Um, we had to cancel our summer youth programs. Um, and being a pipeline program, that's really hard because if you don't have that big influx of 84 young people coming in who can then go on to the other programs, you it really is very challenging. And for our farms, we so and let me just share one of the reasons we had to cancel our youth programs is because we also um, pay for their transportation, but they come to our farms on public transportation, both our urban and suburban farms. So it's great for them because they get to learn the whole public transportation system and no parent wanted to put their kid on public transportation in early COVID. Yeah. So we didn't have a choice there. And then we had to cancel our volunteer groups too. So I will say the first summer, the farms had a lot of weeds because we didn't have the youth <laughs> and we didn't have the volunteers. And it was, you know, sort of slogging through the jungle, but we still managed to grow a lot of food. And, um, you know, that was a big challenge. We did access the Paycheck Protection uh, Program loans, yeah. which have since been forgiven, which is really nice. Um, and frankly, people really stepped up. We ran a campaign called uh, that we called Farming for Resilience, <laughs> but basically targeting saying, you know, this year we're growing and we're going to focus on distributing. You know, normally it's around fifty percent. You know, we want to aim for like two thirds or three quarters of the food is going to, to low income communities with food insecurity. And we developed all new partnerships where to figure out where the food was needed most and make sure it was getting there. And, you know, we were lucky enough to have a funder um, and Theodore Foundation who saw, who wanted to increase their support of us during that time. And they helped us hire a community programs manager, one in Boston and one in Lynn, to kind of manage those relationships ongoing. So the work that we did to build new partnerships didn't get lost when we had to go back to running youth programs and and, do, and volunteer programs and all that. We were able to pull that forward. And so we had some, we had a lot of funders who stepped up a little bit more or a lot more. And we had a lot of new interest in what we do during the pandemic. One of the things you touched on too is partnerships, and and you know one of the things we always speak to our uh, partners here at uh, at True North is the ability to to find distribution channel, to find strategic partners to give you uh, more depth and breadth. It sounds like that's something at the food project that you focused on as well. Maybe talk about a little bit about that strategy and, and how you found uh, and are still looking for those strategic partners. Sure. I mean, we've we've always partnered um, a lot in Lynn with the city and with city agencies like the Greater Lynn Senior Services and um, Lynn Housing and Neighborhood Development and some of these and the mayor's office and so on. In Boston, it's a little bit different because we're in a neighborhood in Boston. So we're in the Dudley neighborhood, which um, spans Roxbury and North Dorchester. And so we're a little bit smaller player in Boston um, than we are relatively in Lynn. Um, but we were able to talk to the mayor's office of food access in Boston and say, so where is it most needed? Where are people not getting, because everybody was trying to help. And if you don't want to put too much in one place, if there's a whole nother place like East Boston, that's really not getting it. So we, we got a lot more flexible, I think. And we also decided to focus more on smaller nonprofits or, and partners that we would could make a bigger difference for. So we knew the Greater Boston Food Bank and the Pine Street Inn and, and some of those big ones would be getting plenty of attention. 
So we tried to focus on ones that were smaller, that where we could make a bigger difference. Yeah, that made sense for uh, for the food project, which which uh, I think is is very astute and something that you know for profit or nonprofit companies should look at is who are your best partners for the stage of the business that that you're in. Yeah. Um, no, I, this has been fascinating. It's been nice to. Uh, change it up um, a little bit for uh, for us um, and, and interview uh, someone who's in, in a different space. You know, I always like to end with this. If you weren't doing this nonprofit work, if you weren't the executive director, uh, what else would you, uh, you know, where else did you see your career taking you? That's a really interesting question. Um, and I, I honestly don't know. I did go over to an event um, run by the Social Enterprise Initiative at, at Harvard Business School a couple of nights ago. And I thought, you know, social enterprise might be interesting. Um, so for profit, but still doing good, I think maybe that might be an area. I have a close friend from business school who runs a, a, a company called uh, Dreambox, which is an educational software company that customizes itself as it goes. I I can't explain it as well as she could, but, you know, things like that, that are really making a difference in learning that are making a difference in, in food. There's some really interesting things going on in food in the, in the for-profit sector as well. So, you know, something like that would probably be my next best thing, but I love it. I love working in the nonprofit space. Well, I can't thank you enough, Anne, for uh, joining us today. Uh, we're excited that uh, you're here with us. Um, for our listeners, please uh, check out The Food Project. They do some amazing, amazing work. Stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be posting our episodes every other week uh, on Spotify and follow us on LinkedIn. So once again, and I can't thank you enough. This has been a lot of fun. And um, I'm sure I will see you with uh, Annalise at the, the next event. Thank you. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.